There's a big one. Steve, Steve's talked about it before, but like guys that do a lot of reloads and shoot just shoot a lot in general. Guns. They uh, they handle lead a lot, and mm. uh, they start to tend to be a little aggressive, and it's kind of weird. That's nah, just the culture. It's just the culture, yeah. It's just the culture. I got my Affliction t-shirt, I got my coffee, I got my fucking EDC bandana, my EDC shoelaces, I got my, my EDC my, my cool coffee hat. These jeans have 30 knives in them. For what reason? Just in case. Welcome back to the Trilel Troika. This is Steve, along with the other Steve. It's going to get out of the way right now. I have a fucking migraine. <laughs> and Ryan. Um, can you guys imagine if England put together an NFL team, came over here, <laughs> played like an all-pro American team in the Super Bowl, and it just ended as a draw? <laughs> As an American, uh, I would be incredibly fucking embarrassed. I'm very proud of our boys. Our boys. I'm, I'm proud of them for, 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 you know, ending in a draw. Especially that's, like, not really our sport. Like, big air quotes there, our sport. Yeah. I'll take a tie. I'll take a 0-0 oh. tie. I, my neighbor was up at, like, 4 o'clock this morning watching games. I was like, dude, you, you are, like, <laughs> way too into this, man. They had a. They, I was gonna say they had two European NFL teams. Some people uh, be soccer in the UK. Here. No, bro. He's like in his backyard. TV setup, not like at an obnoxiously high level. Yeah, like high enough that like when I got up to use the bathroom, I heard it. I was like, "What the fuck is that?" And I looked outside, and like he's got the jersey on. He's watching. I'm like, "Oh my fucking god!" <laughs> you live near Steve. From five to four, that's Stephen time. You don't disturb me during that time. <laughs> five a.m. to four p.m. <laughs> How many hexagons are on a soccer ball? You have five seconds to answer. You can't answer. Get the fuck out of my backyard. <laughs> Forty-three. <laughs> You're wrong. Get out. <laughs> Do you know how many are there? No, that's why I don't care. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to find out right now. We're, this is called Learning with the Trilateral Troika. Let's just say who gets it first. Googling. Siri, how many hexagons are on a soccer ball? Wait, 20. What? 20. 20 no. and 12 pentagons cut from a sheet of artificial leather known as Rexine. Thanks, Siri. Wait a minute. 20 hexagons. What? I, okay, so I just typed in Google how many hexagons are in a soccer ball, and I literally got like six different answers. Why do soccer balls have thirty-two panels? What? I guess I guess because a soccer ball is not technically like round. Yeah, it's it's it's, a, it's, a, it's an amalgamation. It's of bumpy. Shapes. Yeah. Bumpy. Much, much like the planet Earth, it is not actually you know a perfect sphere. Yeah, okay. but I guess we're like ovoid. You know? And that's why it's the sport of the world. Speaking of ovoid shapes, who are we talking about? Today we're going to be talking about some historic political assassins in the United States. So I should say, uh, two of them are in, in Minecraft are, are two <laughs> attempted assassins. One of them was actually successful. Sir Han, Sir Han. Not, not him. Um, some, some more historic ones. He's not that, niche that enough. Are more Steve. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He doesn't. 
He doesn't rate. He's also still alive. Yep. Well, Steve won't do it just because he's too like too well known. We yeah. will say though that we are we 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 are official supporters of John Hinckley and his music career. Uh, we <laughs> hope that he can find a uh, a venue to actually you know let him play. I follow I him support on Twitter. I support his music <laughs> career. Yeah. Yeah. He uh he he was kind of funny on Twitter for a couple weeks when he first joined. It, yeah. It, I, I follow him, but like he hasn't really done anything. Yeah. Um, the first one we're going to talk about is one from the 1800s named uh, Richard Lawrence. Um, Richard Lawrence was born in England around um, around 1800 um, or 1801. We're not entirely sure when he was born or where he was born in England, um, but we do know that his family emigrated to the United States when he was 12 years old, um, and they settled in Virginia near Washington, D.C. Um, nice. Throughout a lot of his like childhood and early adult years, he was um, he's apparently uh, pretty average. Um, no- nothing really uh, strange about him or his upbringing, um, and and he had been described as uh, relatives and acquaintance of his um, at his trial um, that he was a a quote unquote relatively fine young boy um, who was reserved in his manner but industrious and of good moral habits. And this, um, oh, so good moral habits. And just to clarify, we're talking about a guy who's going to attempt to assassinate somebody, right? Yes. Okay. Okay. You know, he's not gambling. You know, he's not dicing. He's not playing. No CeeLo in the park. He's not gallivanting with the ladies. He's a good, yeah, good, strong, moral character, man. Okay. He's not gotcha. playing nine pin out on the, out on the public yard. You know, he's a good <laughs> standing boy. He's not looking at women's ankles. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> Wank. They call that wankling. <laughs> Scandalous. Uh, but, but it's believed that um, a lot of his sort of like future behavior uh, was possibly influenced by his uh, his career and that he was a house painter. Um, like and, uh, in the way Frank, uh, what's his name was? From the Irishman? Like he paints houses. I paint houses. Yeah. <laughs> I heard you paint houses. That's actually a book, though. I read so. Yeah. Yeah, I read it. It was good. It wasn't? Um, okay. Yeah, it was much but, better than the movie. But it was the typical, like, you know, ex-mafia associate wank, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, He's just jerking off out into the I'm, uh, I'm literary I'm going to be honest. World. I didn't mind The Irishman as a movie. No, The Irishman it was, was great, good. But it was yeah. good, but it wasn't it was, great. Yeah. Yeah, was that. It was hard to... Uh, the problem with that movie was that it came out 12 years after it was supposed to come out. And, uh... Or, like, 10 years after it was supposed to come out. And the, all the actors were, like, significantly older. So they had to really de-age everybody. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was, that was the fucked up part. Forget what, what is, happened there. Scorsese, what, like, had some kind of deal. And they were doing... Something happened. I forget. But. What was the other mob movie that came out around the same time as, like, Casino and Goodfellas? There was another one that had, like, Joe Pesci in it. Uh... Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, there's Goodfellas, there's Casino, there's um, Bronx Tale. There's... No, I'll, think, I'll think of it. Later on, I'm just going to pop up and be like, that's what it is. But I'm upset that I don't have like a list just on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> uh, I think you're thinking of a Bronx Tale. But the, he's not in that. Pesci's not in that. True. Uh, all right. So anyway, Richard Lawrence. Um, Mr. So Lawrence. It's believed that his profession as a house painter uh, may have possibly um, caused his uh, future behavior, 
um, due to his exposure oh, to uh, toxic chemicals um, that was used in paint um, at that time in the 1800s, which included lead, um, um, antimony, uh, chromates, sulfides, and barium, um, which may have uh, caused him to become mentally ill um, by the time that he uh, went into his 30s. Um, and around that time, he began exhibiting uh, what could be considered disassociative uh, behavior and violent tendencies, um, especially towards his uh, siblings. Mm. I'm going to put most of my eggs in the basket of lead with this one. Yeah, um, it doesn't It doesn't affect every person in a really strong way, but it's like way over 75%. That, like, if you have constant, you know, it's not like you just were exposed to lead once or twice and, oh my right. god, you're going to be a psychopath, but like a, a chronic, constant exposure to lead with, yeah. will lead to a chronic, elevated lead level. The dose, makes, the, the, dose makes the poison. I mean, exactly. It's, yeah. We're talking about the 1800s where everything was fucking lead. So there's a big one. Steve's talked about it before, but like guys that do a lot of reloads and shoot, just shoot a lot in general guns. They, uh, they handle lead a lot and, Mm -hmm. uh, they start to tend to be a little aggressive and it's kind of weird. Nah, it's just a culture. (laughs) It's just the culture. Yeah. It's just the culture. I got my affliction t-shirt. I got my coffee. I got my fucking EDC bandana, my EDC shoelaces. I got my, my EDC coffee hat. These jeans have 30 knives in them. For what reason? Have, Just in case. I have my, my Undertaker t-shirt. commemorative The Line t-shirt. Yeah, uh. I've got my Trail of Tears commemorative knife from Bud K. It's great. We're going to be good. I got my lifted Dodge F-150 or my lifted Dodge 1500. Yeah. Oh, my God, dude. <laughs> But uh, by by November of 1832, um, it's believed that his behavior had fully gone um, sort of like out of control and that he had become very unstable. Um, He had announced to his family during that time period that he was going to be returning to England um, and he left Washington shortly thereafter. uh, But he would return a month later uh, telling his family that he decided not to travel abroad as it was too cold. Hey, guys, I'm back. I went over there. It kind of sucked. And now I'm back. Boy, my nipples were hard. But but shortly after uh, coming back, he I was all nipped up. Would would go to England in order to study landscape painting? So he did go back. Well, he he said he was going to go back, um, and and after he left the the second time, um, he briefly stayed in Philadelphia before returning home. Um, he told his family that that um, that's what the uh, persons, song "Streets of Philadelphia" is about. Actually, Richard Lawrence <laughs> pop up um, pop up that, video. And he had uh, prevented that. They said that unnamed persons have prevented him from traveling abroad, and that the U.S. government also disapproved of his plan to return to England. So he was related to Alex Jones. So he's like the early conspiracy theory AM talk radio guy. Then yeah, yeah. These guys have been around a while. Basically, uh, the government did not want me traveling over to England uh, uh, because of uh, I had business here to attend. They knew if I got there, then they then it was done for them. (laughs) That was it. I, I like you kind of doing it like an almost Jesse Ventura voice. I could, I could, I used to be able to do a good Jesse Ventura. It's, it's, it's gone over. Let me try it real quick. Yeah, you know the problem is, is that you got, <laughs> you got England over there, and they don't want. Nah, I can't do it. It's, it's bad. <laughs> they sent, they sent frogmen after me. Yeah. Um, Chris Kyle said that- I wasn't a seal, Gene, <laughs> but I am a seal. I'm as big a seal as any seal in the sea. <laughs> <laughs> Have you checked out the lateral deltoid development? 
<laughs> I love Jesse Ventura, man. I, he's, yeah, he's, he's phenomenal. If there's a if there's a respectable libertarian, he might be the only one. He Listen, was, he was on uh, he was on Chris Jericho's podcast recently, and it was funny because he started going off about how if he was at the Capitol during uh, during January 6th, he would have just like killed like half the people there. I would have taken there. them all out, but. <laughs> But but Jericho's quiet the whole time because his wife was <laughs> his wife was there. Yeah. yeah, he was there. He was the one who planted the bombs in the hoodie. Him and Marjorie Taylor Greene. Um, Lawrence would claim that while he was in Philadelphia as well, that he had read several stories in the in the local newspaper that were critical of his plans to travel. What? Um, and and also of his that that also uh, spoke ill of his character. Were the newspapers like reporting on news of a population of like forty six people? Like that he <laughs> was important enough to make the news. Oh well, actually, we're keeping Mister Lawrence here. We're not letting him leave. Like extra, extra. Read all about it. Local nut thinks he can't leave. <laughs> it, Turns out mostly... this door's wide open. He doesn't even own a lock. Um. <laughs> Most of his, uh, most of his, like, sort of things that he's been saying is, is most likely just due to his own personal delusion. Ah, uh, um, okay. Right. Did, so, did you? Do we actually have a, a diagnosis for him? Uh, uh, people have like gone back and like diagnosed him. Yeah, some um, mesothelioma, I believe. Like, but <laughs> Adam, yeah, he was uh, he was in Camp Lejeune from the years nineteen fifty four to nineteen sixty. From 1754 to 18. <laughs> he got the emails and he started to get worried. And that's how he got paranoid. And then it developed into schizophrenia. And there you go. You know? He started hearing things. Had a really yeah. bad case of tinnitus. Also needed to sue 3M for the earplugs when he was at Camp Lejeune. <laughs> that's right. He gave all his money to some Nigerian person. Never gave it back. His Nigerian princess is waiting for him. Yep. But so he probably is like paranoid schizophrenia. Maybe like with having you know these these delusions of like persecution where people are like trying to follow him around and like not allowing him to leave. Yeah, what it sounds and, like anyway. And when he returns to Washington, he he informs his family that he could not um, go to England until he could afford to buy a ship and hire a captain to sail him there. Hey, um, I'm back again. Let me borrow fifty bucks. I need a boat. <laughs> um, and around that time, he also quits his. Uh, uh, Making seventy five, we need to hire a captain too. I don't know how to say it. Uh, Uncle Richie's back. You know he's going through a tough time. This fucking deadbeat. I love your deadbeat boat needer voice. <laughs> this is pretty good. Hey, I'm Uncle back Richie, again. I'm back. Hey, I need listen, a new boat. I, I need about hey, fifty bucks. Is what I need. I, listen, just fifty bucks will get rid of me for good. I'll go across the ocean and never hear from It's an again. investment. These <laughs> things they they take goods here and there. Look, you're gonna get it. Look at the exposure. You can put your company's name on the boat, Captain. Listen, I got a guy. Just don't worry about. It. I got a guy. <laughs> and for and for fifty more dollars, we'll put a wrap on the ship. We'll have your your company's name and logo. <laughs> phone number that hasn't been invented yet but it's gonna be big i tell you oh man those companies make a lot of money by those sign companies yeah oh yeah they do we did it for one of them one time and they were non-stop printing overpriced signs for everybody it was just amazing yeah shout out to target copy here in gainesville they like do like copy printing sign services dog they do all the printing services for the university of florida yeah uh, santa fe for like the materials that's what my buddy's dad did for a really long time he did them for the uh the high school and the newspaper one of the newspapers in town 
That target copy is the shit. You man, get that. You get that contract. You're you're made in the shade, man. That's that's why Stringer Bell invested in a copy shop. <laughs> <laughs> you need a day of the jackal, motherfucker, to run this coffee shop. <laughs> Not a rough and tumble, brother, like Slim. So back to our paranoid schizophrenic who just needs fifty bucks. I just need fifty bucks. Um, so around that time, he also quits his job uh, painting houses. Uh, when he was questioned by his sister and brother-in-law, um, with whom he, he was living with at the time, uh, he claimed uh, to them that he did not need to work because he said the U.S. government owed him a large sum of money. Um, he had come to believe that he was owed money uh, because he was actually Richard III of England and owned two English estates. Oh, oh no. Oh no. This <laughs> no, guy's definitely schizophrenic. He's, okay. he's all gone. <laughs> and and, he be, and and as part of his sort of like delusion with the money, he became convinced that he was not receiving the money uh, because then President Andrew Jackson um, had opposed uh, the Second Bank of the United States um, because he wouldn't uh, he wouldn't fund this like national bank um, that uh, it that he was not getting the money he was supposed to get, um, and he felt that if uh, Andrew Jackson was no longer in office, that Vice President uh, Martin Van Buren. Uh, would establish a national bank and allow Congress oh. to pay him the money for his English estate claims. So he was a Van B boy. Yeah, he was from way back. They're the nastiest <sighs> SOBs on the East Side. They're the meanest. He was the meanest president in history. Yeah, Martin Van Buren. I'm a Van <laughs> B boy. Even, Why don't you show us the sign? Your yeah, old man had the best sideburns in the game. Dude, as a man who wears sideburns, I beg to differ. I have the best. <laughs> Everyone who has sideburns feels they have the best sideburns. Um, uh, around this time period as well, when he's beginning to come up with Also, these just, about- just to stop you there, Isaac Asimov <laughs> had the best sideburns in history. Debate me. <laughs> Let me see if I refresh my memory. Yeah, look him up, also- dude. Yeah. Oh shit! Okay. <laughs> when you right. when you see a man's sideburns <laughs> and your first reaction is "Oh shit." That means they got them sideburns. Yeah. yeah. Mr. Asimov, hats off to you, sir. You've he, got the fucking sideburns. He's got the donor area for two more Isaac Asimovs in his sideburns. Good God. That's nice, man. <laughs> that was a nice fucking sideburn. Huge. Oh, uh, I just hurt my head by laughing. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Good God. So as, as Lawrence is, is sort of going further and further into these delusions... Um, he begins to dress um, more uh, flamboyantly. He would normally dress like uh, somewhat conservatively and, and normal for the time, um, but he would grow out a mustache and begin buying um, expensive and flamboyant clothing that he would change three or four times a day. He grew a mustache. Scandalous. Um, he would stand in the doorway of his home for hours at a time, and he would gaze out into the street. Um, and people oh passing God. by. He's there's an old man. There's a nefarious <laughs> boy staring at me, Martha. What's nefarious about him? He's got a mustache. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the children of the neighborhood would refer to him as King Richard, um, which uh, which pleased him uh, because he didn't realize that they were that they were making fun of him, and he thought that they actually knew that he was you know King Richard the Third. See, I would have oh, been so like should have too. Was he, yeah, was he, or was he just crazy? I, I think he was just, you know, he just severe. Because, you know, back uh, then. Chemical poisoning had made him. Back then, know, if you were, like, Ill. autistic or mentally, you know, uh, mentally challenged, then, you know. just different. They, you know? They, would, they would call you, yeah, that's King Henry, you know. 
Um, it he also became very paranoid and hostile during this period. Um, on one occasion, he threatened to kill a maid who he thought was laughing at him. Well, he's the king. Yeah. I mean, you know. <laughs> he also he also began verbally and physically abusing his family members, uh, mainly his sister, um, over um, uh, slights that uh, he believed that she had made against. Again, I say he is royalty, and he's the king. He has every right to beat the shit out of his own family. <laughs> hey, yo, what'd you um, just say to me? <laughs> hey, hey, you little son of a bitch, what'd you just say to me? Hey, You're hey, gonna get the hey. scepter. <laughs> Give me my candlestick. <laughs> in, in one in one notable uh, instance, he threatened to hit his sister with a paperweight um, <laughs> because he believed that she was uh, talking badly about him. This guy's like uh, like like a like a Joe Pesci. <laughs> was his was his paperweight like you know the royal orb? You know, like the orb with the cross on the top of it. Was it that? Yeah, it was the. Uh, <laughs> I forget what they're called. This, uh, the, the holy hand grenade of Antioch. Yeah, the Antioch hand grenade. Yeah. <laughs> Worms Armageddon. Um, and at his trial, the, this would all be uh, this all this bizarre behavior was was brought up uh, by by different witnesses, um, and several people also testified that he would have nonsensical conversations with himself, um, and that he would often have laughing and cursing fits. Yeah, my man was literally just mentally ill. Um, so in the weeks leading up to his assassination attempt. Um, Lawrence began observing uh, Andrew Jackson's movements. Um, witnesses would later testify that Lawrence was seen sitting um, in his paint shop, uh, muttering to himself about Jackson. Um, on Friday, uh, January 30th, 1835, the day of the assassination attempt, Lawrence was seen sitting in his paint shop with a book in his hand while laughing. Um, he suddenly got up, left the shop, and stated, um, I'll be damned if I don't do it. And he did it. He damn sure did it. <laughs> Um, mm. So on that day, uh, Jackson was attending the funeral of South Carolina Representative Warren R. Davis at the U.S. Capitol building. Um, Warrens uh, originally planned to shoot Jackson as he entered the service, uh, but he was unable to get close enough to Jackson in order to shoot him. Um, so by the time uh, Jackson left the funeral, uh, Warrens had found space uh, near a pillar on the east uh, portico uh, where Jackson would pass. Um, as Jackson walked by, uh, Warren stepped out and fired his first pistol at Jackson's back, and it misfired. Uh, Warren uh, quickly drew his second pistol, which also misfired. God damn, bro. Uh, it was not Andrew Jackson's time to go. You did Two pistols misfired? Yeah. It was, it was, it was determined that the weapons that, that he had used, um, that they had not functioned properly due to uh, the, damp, um, the damp and humidity of the day. Um, so the powder uh, didn't like. So you have to remember these are like flintlock, um, like pistols. Yeah. Right, right. Jesus Christ! What the, lucky, lucky, lucky. Oh yeah. Um, the we- weapons have come a long way. Back then, like you had a shot. Like if somebody, <laughs> if somebody had you dead to rights with a gun, there's probably like a thirty percent chance you weren't dying. You know? well, well, there's well, there's the uh, a- Andrew Jackson famously uh, killed a man in a duel who had uh, shot him. That he had missed the first time, and then he he got a second pistol and shot the guy because the guy had shot him. Wow. Um, so Jackson notices this, um, and then he proceeds to uh, beat Lawrence with his cane, um, and a crowd in uh, the building, including uh, the uh, Davy Crockett, who at that time was a U.S. representative, uh, eventually uh, wrestle Lawrence into uh, submission. They fucking they jumped this dude that was mentally ill. <laughs> Well, yeah, Andrew Jackson to... beat somebody who was mentally ill with a cane? 
canceled. <laughs> I mean, you kind of have to. I mean, I know a story about uh, someone who did that. Um, you just had you had to because sometimes uh, mentally ill people just lose their shit, you know. And this was what, like the late eighteen hundreds? What they have morphine, and that's it. They didn't this even is, know this what is was the early eighteen hundreds. That's the early eighteen hundreds. Yeah. yeah, they had like yeah, they spirits, Diesper yeah. or some shit, you know. Get the green spirits. All right. Just give give him some more whiskey. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Ply him with whiskey. He'll relax. Um, Lawrence would be brought to trial on April eleventh, eighteen thirty five. Also, um, let me at- pause real quick and go back. Did you say Davy Crockett, like the Davy Crockett, like King of yeah, the Wild the, Frontier? Yeah, the Davy Crockett. Well, also beat his ass. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Man, this guy had this a wild is, wild ride. This is kind of like a who's who of the day. Okay. Um. So, Lawrence is brought to trial on April 11th, 1835. The trial is held at the uh, the Washington, D.C. City Hall. Um, the, the prosecuting attorney was uh, Francis Scott Key. Okay, um, okay. All right, the what? guy that wrote the Star-Spangled <laughs> Banner? <laughs> yes. No, what the fuck is this? Are you sure? Is or is, is Wait, is my man Richard Lawrence writing this story? Because that's what it sounds like. He's just throwing in random celebrities. So there I was, King Richard, and then Davy Crockett came and tackled me. And then Francis Scott Key was the judge at my my case. Okay, okay, no, back he inside. He was yeah. the attorney. Francis Scott Key was the yeah, attorney. Back inside. George Washington was the judge. And Martha Washington was soup. the stenographer. Eat your soup. <laughs> Okay, but is there a reason that's, like, okay, all right, okay. Is it a testament to the fact that they only had, like, 86 people in the entirety of the United States? <laughs> just all the big-name people were right here and involved in this? So then George Washington five, walks up and goes, lawyers. what's going on, fellas? <laughs> There's only, like, three lawyers in the entire U.S. at the time, and Francis Scott Key just happened to be one of them. Like, is that how this worked? Or is it just, like... Fucking Ben Franklin walks up and goes, if you guys end up killing him for some reason, I got a basement. I can use that body. <laughs> you know, when you, when you shoot the president and, and you fail, like, the when you go to trial, you know, they're, 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 there's going to be some big names in there, you know. It's kind of a who's who. <laughs> uh, but uh, during the trial, uh, Warren's uh, just, he's prone to uh, wild rants and he refuses to uh, recognize the legitimacy of the court. Um, at one point, he says to the courtroom, it is for me, gentlemen, to pass judgment on you and yeah. you upon me. He's it's a sovereign citizen. He's a sovereign it's citizen. literally Alex just Jones again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they're all letting me talk about, you know, his First Amendment rights. I can't say anything about that. Goddamn globalists. <laughs> I love how they were like, hey, um, Mr. Jones, have you made any disparaging comments against the court since this trial began? Oh, no, I don't believe I did. They show him a picture. Of like some inflammatory shit against the judge. He's like, oh, well, well you know, nah, 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 nah. it's like, bro, you just—it is physically impossible for you just not to lie on the stand. It's incredible. It, it's incredible court TV. I hope they broadcast it like in its entirety at some point. Oh my god. <laughs> they they have all of it is um is is available. No, but I want it like broadcast. I want like commentary. I want it like you know, obviously like edited for time and for content. Like, just it's something you could sit down and watch and have somebody like VH1 pop up videos, a little bit of trivia. Like, here's how you know Alex is lying. Do 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 do. You know, shit like that. Well, <laughs> well, technically you can't uh, you, you can't edit it in that way because Wait. of um, because it's like a federal. Uh, it was a federal court case, I believe. So you can't edit or, it or, or state because it was like official. Um, video 
you you couldn't do anything like that. Really? Yeah. All right, mm. Steve, you can go ahead and cut the last uh, three minutes. <laughs> no, no. How will other people learn? <laughs> Fair. <laughs> um. So uh, the jury deliberates for about five minutes, um, and they find that. <laughs> <laughs> and they find that Fucking Lawrence is smoke. not guilty by reason of insanity. Smoke break. This guy's nuts. Let's go. <laughs> I gotta get back. I gotta get back to the wood shop. Uh, said uh, was, said Ethan Allen. Yeah. <laughs> it was. They're all like. They're probably all smoking in during the trial. Oh, the yeah. jury foreman Thomas Jefferson acquits him. <laughs> See, that's why they made better decisions back then, Steve. The bailiff, Abraham, a young Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, let me wrestle him, and I'll let you know whether he's good. Um, <laughs> oh, this boy, so this boy in, is in, weak. In, <laughs> Send him to jail. In the years um, following his acquittal, uh, Lawrence uh, would be held in several uh, mental institutions and hospitals. Um, in 1855, he was committed to the newly opened uh, government hospital for the insane, uh, which was later renamed St. Elizabeth's Hospital um, in Washington, D.C., where he would uh, stay until his death in, on June 13th, 1861. Mm. So I have a dumb question. I, I, how does not guilty by reason of insanity work if you go, because they're basically saying that at the time the crime was committed, you did not know the difference between right and wrong. After the fact, after you're committed to whatever kind of institution that they're going to commit you to, what happens if you demonstrate you're no longer "quote unquote" crazy? Do they let you go? I, I I'm not entirely sure. I, I think that it, de- depending on the crime and what it was, um, they they might possibly send you to a regular prison. I, I don't think you just like. You, but you I don't were think found you just get like, out scot free. No, but you would be found not guilty by reason of insanity. Yeah, and, and usually what that means is that you're sent to a mental institutions of a prison to be, like, imprisoned. Cool. Which is just, like, cool. one of the reasons why, like, pleading, like, pleading, uh, not That's what I'm saying, they send you there. Is, they send you there because you were in, because you were at the time of the crime was committed and uh, assumingly at the same, at the time of the trial, you were, quote unquote, insane, right? Yeah. What I'm saying is, if the final judgment is not guilty by reason of insanity, if you demonstrate mental competence after you've been institutionalized for X amount of time or whatever, they would have to let you go, right? I I think they do, but it it I guess it depends. I, I think a judge has to uh, like allow it. I, uh, I don't think you know like after after that point they're just like, well, you can go now. Because I mean, obviously, like everybody and their mom has tried the hell, man. I was insane at the time. I didn't know. Ooh, I'm cuckoo. But obviously, it's very hard to to like actually, you know, get that kind of you know attachment to your judgment of insanity. But like, if you could do it, and that's how it works, like, okay, spend a year locked up in a mental institution, and then just be like, all right, I'm good to go now. Bye, dude. You do. Uh, we've been we've talked about this before. <clears throat> I don't care who you are. You do your best effort to not be convicted of things when you're in a court. <laughs> That's it. You just do what you got to do because, you know, you're going to lose your freedom or potentially be put to death in the shitty states. So, yeah. it's like, you know, you got to do what like, you got to do. I'm sitting here trying to, like, figure out how to rules lawyer this. And you're just like, you could just not do it. 
It's good. Casey Anthony all over again. It's like, you know, you, she's, uh, she's obviously... She's coming out with a new interview. You see that? Yeah, I did. I'm like, what are you going to tell us? <laughs> she said Casey? her dad did it, basically. What? Yeah, she, yeah, like, accuses she, her she dad. Played... Yeah. No. I don't know. We just need to find Zanny the nanny, and this is all going to be Zanny the nanny. Listen, uh, I don't even care. Uh, I want to see that hustler spread that she was going to do, or date. No, or, dude, you don't want to see that. No. <laughs> Why not? She's fucking wasted old lady dude she's like literally 37 she's been through the ringer (laughs) (laughs) i'm not gonna argue that it's the local legend is that she got around a lot i'm not judging her for it i'm just saying yeah like we knew we knew people who went to high school with her yeah did she go to university i'm gonna leave it there i i think so and she also uh she also liked to go to like the Buffalo Wild Wings. It's like down the road from me. <laughs> Cause yeah. she like going by age and stuff like that. Like she and I would have graduated high school like very close to the same time. Yeah, very close. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I mean, like it's 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 kind of funny thinking the 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 nonsense I used to get up to back then that I could have potentially crossed paths with this woman. Oh yeah, absolutely. Anyway. Um, it- and like with uh, most political assassinations, there was speculation that Lawrence was part of a conspiracy um, against Jackson. Um, while uh, while nobody denied, you know, that Lawrence had, had acted on his own, um, some people, including Jackson, uh, believed that he might have been supported in or, or put up to carrying out the assassination attempt by some of his enemies. Um, and for instance, uh, then U.S. Senator uh, John C. Calhoun, who was Jackson's former vice president, made a statement on the Senate floor that he was not connected to the attack. Um, never, uh, regardless of this, uh, Jackson did believe that Calhoun uh, may, may have been involved in the attempt. Did John C. Calhoun make a completely unprompted, I did not have anything to do with that attack, speech? Because <laughs> that's, that's very guilty. Yeah, you guys heard <laughs> well, about this thing? It wasn't me. <laughs> well, I think it's because Jackson had already been, you know, like, talking about it. So you just like, yeah, I just want to put out, you know, and for the record, I had nothing to do with this. This I did not attempt to partake in a conspiracy to assassinate the president t-shirt is answering a lot of <laughs> questions that I'm getting asked. <laughs> um, he also believed that a, a former friend and supporter, Senator George uh, Poindexter of Mississippi, um, who had... Um, who was who had feeling involved, hot, hot, hot at the time. Would have, would have <laughs> possibly been involved in it because he had used Lawrence to do some house painting a few months before the, uh, the attempt. Um, because uh, Poindexter was unable to convince his uh, supporters of Mississippi that he was not involved in the plot against Jackson, um, he was eventually uh, defeated in his bid for re-election. Um, but but there is no actual evidence that he was connected in Lawrence, um, or that Lawrence was connected to Calhoun um, in in any sort of way that would mean that you know there was a plot to kill Jackson, and that he was just like a guy that was in Washington D.C. who was crazy, occasionally painted houses, and then tried to kill the president. Jeez. Amazing. Now, the next one we're going to talk about, um, he, he actually was successful, um, though though it's debatable, like, if, like, his attempt was, like, actually was what killed, uh, killed uh, pr- the president, or if it was, you know, um, the doctors that, that killed the president. Yeah. Um, Are we talking about Lincoln? They nipped his so liver. We're, we're, we're actually talking about uh, Charles J. Uh, Gateau. Sorry, what? <laughs> um, so Charles Gateau was born on September 8th, 1841. 
Um, he was born in Freeport, Illinois, the fourth of six children. Um, and um, his father was Luther Wilson Gateau. Um, and that, and his uh, family moved to um, Ulaw, Wisconsin, um, near current-day Grafton, Wisconsin, in 1858, and lived there until 1855 when his mother died. Um, soon after, uh, Gateau and his father would move back to Freeport. Um, Gateau would inherit um, around, uh, at that time, a thousand U.S. dollars, the equivalent to um, thirty thousand dollars in today's money, um, from his grandfather as a young man, um, and he would go to um, Ann Arbor, Michigan, to attend uh, the University of Michigan. That's God a lot damn. of Gateau. Yeah, bro. But also, <laughs> I see what you did there. So <laughs> he's going to go to University of Michigan, and it's going to cost him a total of like forty-six cents. Six dollars. It'll be six dollars every year. Are you serious? It's so expensive. <laughs> oh, we're breaking the bank here. This loan crisis is getting out of hand. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Man can't even pay out of pocket to go to school. Um, so uh, due to uh, not being a very good student, um, he failed the entrance examinations. Um, <laughs> womp, womp. <laughs> you mean I got to pay $6 again? What the fuck? <laughs> um, he, would, uh, he would begin uh, cramming um, in French and algebra at Ann Arbor High School uh, while receiving numerous letters uh, from his father about his progress. Um, but he would uh, quit before completing the program. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. He was trying to get into University of Michigan before he even went to high school? Uh, well, because back at that time, they don't really have, like, um, well, they, they do kind of have public education, but it's not like, like, a lot of people don't attend high school. But isn't that kind of what's what gets you ready for, for college? Yeah, but I, I think it was just that he wasn't, um, that he thought he was ready. Like, he was going to try to, you know... Oh, get he, ahead. Okay, he was one of those assholes who just tried it's, to test out and it didn't work. <laughs> yeah, it's not as it's not as codified uh, back then as it is today. Uh, today, actually, you can you can um, take the MCATs without ever doing uh, is it the MCAT. No, there's a certain test you can take like to be a doctor, and you don't ever have to go to med school, but you have to pass the test and then obviously jump through a couple more hoops. But it's it's like <laughs> wait, you can do what? You just yes. skip the line. Yeah, basically. I read this last week. I'm good. <laughs> In. In June of, of 1850 or 1860, um, he would join the Oneida community, okay. um, which was a utopian religious sect in Oneida, New York, um, and um, that his father um, had uh, some close affiliations with. I'm familiar um, with the Oneida community, which uh, they're really <laughs> into crinkle fries. <laughs> uh, I really thought that's what he said at first was the Oneida community, and I was like, okay, they do a lot of potatoes, hurt. <laughs> Oh, according to um, it, it, that Cateau, um, that like many of the followers of the uh, of the United community, um, that he uh, that he worshipped the group's leader, uh, John Humphrey Noyes, um, once writing that he had, quote unquote, uh, perfect, entire and absolute confidence in him in all things. Um, the United community was a, a perfectionist religion uh, or a religious communal uh, communal society which was founded by uh, the aforementioned John Humphrey Noyes um, and his followers in 1848 near Oneida, New York. Um, the community believed that Jesus had already returned in, um, in 70 AD, um, and that made it possible for them to bring about um, Jesus' uh, Jesus's, uh, millennial kingdom themselves and be free of, the sin, um, be free of sin and perfect, um, uh, perfect themselves um, in this world and not just in heaven. Um, which is a sort of belief called perfectionism. Here we go. 
Um, they also practice communalism um, in the sense that all, uh, all property and possessions all were, right. were communally owned. Um, <laughs> they, they also had group marriage, um, and they also practiced what was called uh, male sexual uh, continence, um, which which essentially like uh, they're not fucking. busting. <laughs> they're, it's they're, edging, <laughs> is what it is. Yeah, it's 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 edging because they they believe like a lot of like right wing weirdos on the internet that like. If you if you ejaculate, it like takes away your spirit. Yeah, you spill your jank. <laughs> to quote the Taoists, um, and they also practice what was called mutual criticism, where you could be critical of like other members of the group, like like sort of like publicly shame them. This um, has a and, this and, has and, a very very Scientology. No, it's got. Uh, Oh, Scientology. No. <laughs> these, uh, well, these Rock, were these Rock types of Thoreau. groups. It was a Canadian cult. I forget what the name of the cult was, but the guy's name was like Rock Thoreau or something like that. And it's just, it's very, very weird people who partake in these types of communities. And I don't understand how you can like, these these communities were like very popular in like the uh, in the eighteen hundreds. Like the like like it, it was called the Burned Over District in New York because they had so many like tent revivals. Um, that, that it was just sort of like all these like fire and brimstone or other like weird burning man groups that they called it the burned over district <laughs> burning man okay like uh, spiritualism comes out of there like the uh, people who believe that they could talk with ghosts um, and, you, and you have these sort of like weird uh, religious communities um, so the community originally had 87 members and would grow to 172 by February of, of 1850 they would have 208 by 1852 and 306 by 1878. Um, there were also smaller, uh, noisy in, uh, communities in Wallingford, Connecticut, uh, Newark, New Jersey, um, and Putney and Cambridge, Vermont. Hmm. Um, those branches were closed in 1854, except for the uh, Wallingford branch, which operated until an 1878 tornado uh, destroyed it. The Great Tornado of 1878. The the Oneida uh, community eventually dissolved in 1881, converting itself to a joint stock company. Um, this eventually became the silverware company um, Oneida Limited, um, which is one of like the things from these like communities is that like they used to make a lot of handicrafts. Like for instance, the Shakers. Yeah, they made is another one furniture in Florida. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and like and like while none of these like none of like the these groups survived mainly because a lot of them the Shakers still believe- exist. Well, the, the, the people who do the, the shaker stuff exist, but not the actual like religious believers because they don't because they didn't practice uh, sex or, or they believe that that, you know, for instance, you know, like ejaculating was bad. So so they never had children, which is why a lot of these sects sort of like died out is because, you know, if you're a sect that, that practices that that type of thing, you know, it's hard to bring in new members. Oh, you're my like bringing God. in new people. Imagine willingly joining such a repressive community um, we're well, not gonna have sex and this is definitely an well, the title of this episode is gonna be like imagine not coming <laughs> well the, the thing is that while they while the united community for instance i, I believe the shakers were, were like full-on abstinence but the thing was yeah the it was the shakers was, were full-on abstinence and the movers were the opposite the movers because <laughs> they had the movers and the shakers and the movers those guys they were fucking constantly in public Fucking uh, Francis Scott Key was tackling people and trying to get them to stop. <laughs> it was bad. It was fucking bad, man. I'm telling you. Uh, Davy Crockett and Willie Nelson were drop kicking motherfuckers. <laughs> it was crazy. 
But the movers, you don't hear a lot about them because they, they had a lot of babies, so they, they're very powerful, you know? Wait, I the thought hitters, said, the movers. Yeah, they're yeah, big hitters. The shakers didn't have any kids because they were just always holding it in. You know, they all red-faced in the in the barn, just holding just it in. Just a bunch of incels. Because yep. they, they would have... No, that's Volcel, by the way. Yeah, excuse me, Volcels. Excuse yeah. me, let me not... Uh, it's not involuntary yeah, unless you count, like, you saying, Jesus won't let me come, you know? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah there let you me. go. <laughs> is, is the United... That's United what I'm going to name the episode. Is. Jesus won't let us come. <laughs> the, uh... <laughs> Shit. The, the United Community did have they did have sex because they did have this sort of like group marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, but but generally what happened is is that some members were not as like accepted as other ones. Um, and Gato was one of them. Um, and during his uh, five years in the group, uh, uh, his nickname became among members of the group uh, Charles Get Out. <laughs> I like it. Jesus Christ. Charles Get Out. Um, he left the community and twice. And that is where uh, Jordan Peele got the name for his popular movie. <laughs> he was, uh, the first time he left, he went to Hoboken, New Jersey. Um, and he attempted to start a newspaper about the Oneida religion called the Daily Theocrat. You say attempted. <sighs> the Daily Theocrat. Yeah, and the paper would fail and he would return to Oneida. Um, Charles, get out. <laughs> he, would, he would return to uh, Oneida, New York but would uh, leave a second time um, in order to file lawsuits against noise. Charles, um, get out which, again. <laughs> in, in which he demanded uh, payment for the work he had supposedly <laughs> performed on behalf of the community. What What? Um, what did he do? Like, for the community? Well, like, trying to start the newspaper and just, like, saying, like... He like, failed. You know, I, <laughs> he yeah, fucking but, failed. What was he trying to get payment for? You failed, bro. Yeah, but you're, you're going to notice a little something about Kato is that he, he thinks he's owed a lot for very little. Oh God! Okay. Um. So his uh, Gato's father is like embarrassed by this because he's a friend of Noise, um, and he writes uh, letters in support of Noise, um, who, who considered um, uh, the younger uh, Charles Gato to be uh, irresponsible and insane. <laughs> uh, um, we think he was adopted. <laughs> he's not mine. <laughs> uh, Gato would work as a clerk at a Chicago law firm. Um, and he would pass a a, um, a cursory uh, examination to attain admission to the bar. Um, he was not successful as a lawyer. I, this guy's um, sober. Only, let him in. He can get a drink. Yeah. <laughs> he only he argued only one case um, in court, um, and the bulk of his business was done in uh, bill collecting. Oh. Um, it, in 1869, he met and married a librarian named Annie uh, Bunn. Oh um, no, not a librarian. And she would uh, she would later uh, detail um, his dishonest uh, behavior, describing how he would keep disproportionate amounts from his collections and rarely give the money to his clients. So he was a scumbag. Yeah. He was yeah. part of the course then. S C U M B A I G scumbag. He was. Um, in 1872, yeah. Gateau and his wife would move to New York City, uh, one step ahead of. Um, uh, bill collectors and dissatisfied clients who are after him for the money he owed them. He is a bill collector. Was he trying to collect on himself? <laughs> um, if the bulk of his business is in bill collecting and bill collectors are knocking at his door, at some point it stands to reason he would have gotten a bounty for this bill from himself. <laughs> he tried to buy his own debt, but you can't do that. So. Well, you can. You just have to have an appropriate number of shell companies. <laughs> I think it's like three. You yeah. gotta be like six degrees of separation. I think it's three. Yeah. Kevin Bacon finds out you're fucked. <laughs> <laughs> He's coming. Um, Gateau would take an interest in politics while in New York City. 
um, and he identified with the Democratic Party. Um, in the 1872 presidential election, he supported uh, Horace Greeley, um, who was a, a liberal Republican like, and Democratic candidate. Um, like against the Horace Greeley? Yeah. Okay. Against um, then incumbent uh, Republican president Ulysses S. Grant. Horace um, Greeley was the Democratic candidate that identified as a liberal Republican? My he was, head yeah. hurts. Um, well, you see, that was back in the day, Ryan, when you could you could mix the issues up a little bit. Nowadays, you got to be confirmed. Yeah, now um, it's back in the day when words didn't mean shit either. Um, Guiteau would uh, prepare a disorganized speech in support of Greeley, um, who, um, which he, he delivered once. Um, <laughs> Greeley was badly defeated, um, but during the campaign, uh, Guiteau uh, became convinced that if Greeley had won, um, he would appoint uh, Guiteau as, um, as ambassador to Chile. What? Why? How did? How did he come uh, come upon that? Isn't isn't he from like here in the states? He has no he has no connection to Chile, correct? Well, usually ambassadors don't. They're just political appointments. Mm-hmm. Did he just throw a dart in a map and be like, ah, Chile? What's? Well, it's a lot of times like like top donors to like presidents and stuff. They end up getting like an ambassadorship. So he's a top donor. Okay, all right. But uh, Gateau, like I said, he, he seems to think he's owed a lot for very little or, or nothing at all. Um, he was also during this time physically abusive with his wife. Um, uh, when she wanted a divorce in 1874, um, he obliged by having sex with a prostitute um, who then testified to his infidelity in court. Mm, damn. Um, so uh, Gateau also uh, sort of looked to religion as another way um, to, to sort of uh, find success and he published a book on the subject called The Truth, which was almost entirely plagiarized from the works of noise. <laughs> ah, so he's just copying. Zero originality. So by 1875, uh, Gateau's father had become convinced that his, uh, his son had become possessed by Satan. Um, and, uh, and, and on the other end, uh, Gateau himself had become uh, increasingly convinced that his actions were uh, divinely inspired and that oh, his Jesus. destiny was to quote unquote preach a new gospel like Paul the Apostle. Me too. Oh God, delusions of fucking religious grandeur. Let's Me too. He, but when I take my meds, I don't feel like doing it anymore. Well, you know, the dog told me that was my my goal. So, <laughs> all right, uh, all right, Davy. <laughs> uh, he would wander from town to town, uh, lecturing to anyone who would listen to him. Charles, uh, get out. <laughs> and on December of 1877, he gave a lecture at the Congregational Church in Washington, D.C. Um, Gateau would spend the first... Is that a church we're supposed to know about? No, it's just saying that he actually did speak at a church. Okay, okay. They're Protestant, um, generally. Oh, you know, I, like, sure when you walk like, around D.C., there's, like, a whole bunch of old, like, buildings and churches and stuff, so... If you're asking, a Congregational Church is a Protestant church, just so you know. Got it, Okay. Uh, Gateau would spend the first half of 1880 in Boston, uh, which he left uh, owing money and under suspicion of theft. Bro, they ran uh, his ass the fuck out of town. <laughs> on, on June 11th, 1880, he was a passenger on the SS uh, Stonington uh, when it collided with the SS Narragansett at night in a heavy fog near the mouth of the Connecticut River. Um, Stonington was able to return to port, but Narragansett burned to the waterline and sank with significant loss of life. Although none of his fellow passengers on the Stonington were injured, the incident left Gateau believing that he had been spared uh, to serve a higher purpose. They let me go. 
literally nobody on his ship has any injuries at all, and he's just like, I've been spared. I'm blessed. God's Hashtag plan. Clearly, this is the war's God's work. <laughs> yeah, God's plan. God's plan. Um, Gateau would again become interested in politics, and during the 1880 uh, presidential campaign, um, uh, the Republican Party had been split between uh, two factions. Uh, one was called the Stalwarts, which were led by Roscoe uh, Conkling. Um, Roscoe and the P. Other, Coltrane. Uh, <laughs> and, and they wanted to have uh, Ulysses S. Grant run for a third term. And the other group was called the Half-Breeds, um, who supported <laughs> James G. Blaine. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's a slur, sir. <laughs> yeah, what's up? The fuck is that shit? That was back then, you I, know, I, when like racism and then like ethnicism was uh, more uh, I, more casual. I feel like to even I, I feel like to even say that faction, not even surprised it's a Republican party. Uh, to even say that faction's name is just like I feel dirty, but I also need like one of those like censorship bleeps when I say it. I'm reading like Boswell's Life of Johnson, which is um, about Samuel Johnson. He's that old guy in the wig that makes, like, the, the concerned face. You've probably seen memes of him online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's interesting. He's, like, widely considered one of the greatest writers of that, you know, of England, ever. And uh, it's an interesting book. But, like, one of the things is Boswell's a Scotsman, and, and Johnson thinks Scots are, like, lower than dirt, and he just mm. shits on Scottish people the whole fucking time. <laughs> That's probably because he's British. Right. Uh, but my point but is, that, is like, it's completely like casual and Boswell just kind of like lets it go and just, you know, takes it as well, they a stride. Were, well, they were, they were referred to as the half breeds because, um, it, it was a name given to them by the stalwarts, um, because they only considered them to be only half Republican because oh, the, the stalwarts were in favor of like political machines and the spoils system, which is essentially that if you, if you won an election, you could give all your friends jobs. Um, and the uh, and the and the half breeds were opposed. This shit is to so it. fucking crooked. It's not even funny. Nothing has changed. <laughs> Racists like, like, and they want to give each other jobs and influence peddling. Uh, Nothing has changed. Like Listen, I like how Steve tried to like soften the blow of like the the name half breeds. No, I, I, they only called them because they were like half Republicans. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, so that's you what know that, you, that, that was the name that their <laughs> opponents gave them to, yeah. to refer to them to only being half Republican. Right, but because it's like they, oh, they didn't want to use like. Yeah. The spoil system. Yeah, but like when you when you say it like that, like half breeds, it, you you know the context in which you're using it is supposed to be derogatory and a slur. Um, so uh, Gateau would support the stalwarts, and he wrote a speech in support of Grant uh, called "Grant Against Hancock," um, which he would later revise to Garfield Against Hancock after Garfield, not affiliated with either faction, uh, won the Republican nomination. Yeah. Um, ultimately, uh, Gateau. Uh, changed uh, a little from the the text of his speech and just switched around uh, Grant's name to Garfield's. Um, the, it's believed that the speech was delivered at most twice, um, and printed copies were passed out to members of the Republican National Committee at their summer 1880 meeting in New York. Uh, but Cato believed himself that he was largely responsible for Garfield's victory over Democratic candidate Winfield Scott Hancock um, in the November election. He passed it out at the RNC. Um, he insisted that that he should be given uh, a consulship uh, for his uh, for his believed uh, assistance to Garfield. Uh, first, he asked for uh, the consulship of, of Vienna, um, but then he decided he would rather have one that was in Paris. Uh, uh, wow, pick of the Gitteau's, litter there, uh, huh? <laughs> Gateau's uh, personal uh, request to uh, Garfield and his cabinet 
um, as one of the, the job seekers who would wind up every day uh, to see them in person were continually rejected, um, as were his numerous letters. Because um, back in those days, like, you could literally go see uh, the president. So, like, if you wanted to go, like, see, like, President James Garfield and ask him for a job, like, you just got in a line and then you eventually got to, like, meet him and see him. If, if you've seen the if you've seen the movie like Lincoln like there there's a part like, in the movie where he like where he has like people come and like like one guy is like a he I think he's like a postmaster or something and he's like complaining about like how things are being done in his county and trying to get Lincoln to fix it like mm-hmm. like you could literally do that back then that's oh god the, the idea of that's wild but okay I mean I, I'll buy it um so at, at the early days of Garfield's administration, uh, which began in March of 1881. Uh, Gatel was still living in Washington, D.C., um, although he was uh, destitute and uh, and he was forced to sneak between rooming houses without paying for his lodgings and meals, um, and he would walk around the cold, uh, snowy city um, in his threadbare suit without a coat, hat, or boots. Oh, my, my man had to be freezing. What? Um, during the during the day, he would, uh, he would stay in hotel lobbies, uh, reading discarded newspapers to keep track of the uh, schedules of, of Garfield and his cabinet, and making use of the hotel's complimentary stationery to write letters to them, uh, pressing his claims for um, the consulships that he wanted. Um, in the um, in the in the spring of that year, uh, Gateau, who was still uh, living in, in Washington, um, and on uh, May fourteenth, eighteen eighty one, um, he once more encountered uh, Blaine, um, then Secretary of State. Um, inquiring about his uh, his appointment to a consulship. Um, <laughs> Blaine uh, finally snapped at him and said, uh, never speak to me again on the Paris consulship as long as you live. Wow. Oh, shit. Went, went right after him. Cause, oh, cause this is just, I'm, I'm sure he got annoyed with him because it's just like the local crank who's coming every day asking for this thing, and they're like, no. <laughs> Get him the fuck out. <laughs> Um, uh, Gateau, uh, considered himself to be a loyal, uh, member of the Republican party, um, and a member of the stalwart faction. Um, and he convinced himself that his work for the party had been, um, critical to Garfield winning the election, as I said earlier. Um, so he begins to become convinced that Garfield is going to destroy the Republican party, uh, by scraping the patronage system. Scraping uh, the bottom of the lasagna dish. <laughs> I had to do it. I was waiting for the right time. There he was is. also he was also a noted supporter of Nermal. <laughs> um, so after after he has this encounter with Blaine, he decides that the only solution to 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 getting his consulship and sort of saving the Republican Party is to remove Garfield from the presidency and have uh, then Vice President Chester A. Arthur. Um, who himself was a member of the, uh, who was leader of the stalwart uh, faction of the party, um, and managed Grant's uh, 1880 campaign um, to become the president after Garfield's removed. Mm. Um, because he believed that because, you know, this guy was a member of the faction that he was in, that, that Garfield would, or that once Garfield's out of the way, Chester A. Arthur would give him uh, what he wanted. Yeah, this um, guy so, is wildly off base, but okay. So, so Gateau, he, he sort of thinks about like, how am I going to kill the president? Um, <laughs> and his first his first thing that he thinks of is that one, he can't kill Garfield with a knife because he states Garfield would have crushed the life out of me with a single blow of his fist. I just want to um, point out how hilarious it is that knife is even a thing that he considers to kill the president of the United States. This is clearly in the days before the Secret Service. 
Can you imagine going after a president with a knife? Bro, you well, they, get aerated within 100 feet of him. <laughs> well, they do They do have a Secret Service during this time period. Really? But, but they're not like, they're, they're not like today's Secret Service. Uh, I they mean, probably like, yeah, do, no, no, no. They, they definitely do as much drinking and whoring, but... but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, in this time, I'm sure they're doing mostly chasing of counterfeit money anyway, which is kind of yeah. what the Secret Service does, being that it's a Department of the Treasury, which always blows my mind, but okay. Um, so he settles that uh, that he's going to use a gun uh, to kill the president, um, and he felt that that God had told him to kill the president, um, and that he also um, he also felt that such an act would not be an assassination, but it would actually be a, a quote unquote removal. <laughs> uh, and, and like I said, he also believed that he needed to kill Garfield in order to save the Republican Party. Um, so uh, a relative of his, uh, uh, George uh, Maynard, who's Who's related to his um, uh, uh, who's relation to him through marriage? Um, he borrows fifteen dollars from him and then sets out to purchase a revolver. Um, not knowing much about uh, firearms, he believed that he would need a large caliber gun in order to kill um, Garfield. Oh my god! Um, so he goes to um, O'Meara's store in Washington uh, D.C. Um, and he had to choose between a a four forty two uh, Webley caliber british bulldog revolver with wooden grips or one with ivory grips um so he preferred the one with the ivory handle because he thought it would look better as a museum exhibit after the assassination <laughs> though, though he could not afford the extra dollar for the ivory grips stop um, it. the store owner dropped the price for him stop it. plus he felt bad about how they were obtaining the ivory and yeah well, you know, it's like Red Dead Redemption when you go to the gun store and you can get your gun, like, blinged out. Yeah. You know, he, he didn't have the extra dollar. I want gold bullets. All right. <laughs> that won't work. Um, so he would spend the next uh, few weeks uh, doing target practice. Um, the the recoil, though, from the revolver, uh, he found it difficult to use because it would uh, knock him over um, the first time he fired it. Yeah. And he was well known for having baby hands. <laughs> Well, well, I'm sure he was also pretty uh, pretty weak physically, because remember, he's pretty much homeless. Ah, uh, okay. Thanks for making me feel bad about that. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, see, we should feel bad about the man who killed a president. <laughs> well, I really man, feel like the know. gun store should have been like, oh, you're trying to kill a big human? Here, you should use this elephant gun and just watch him <laughs> This is a punt gun? You're going to need an extra man to hold the barrel, but <laughs> here's a, here's a tripod. you're not going to miss. <laughs> There's a tripod for the gun. This is a tripod. That's uh, that looks like your friend Larry. Yeah, Larry the tripod. <laughs> There's no chance I'm gonna miss. Nah, you're gonna hit him and every one of the 37 people behind him. You're fine. Yeah. Now remember the, the first <laughs> the first rule of punt gun is anything behind it is dead, <laughs> and anything in front of it is dead. Um, after after his assassination, uh, after after his use of the gun in the assassination. Um, it was recovered and, and photographed by the Smithsonian sometime in the early 20th century, uh, but it's since been lost. Wait, if they recovered the gun, they lost it, it, the gun? Yeah, it was it was being held in the Smithsonian, and, and somehow it just, like, disappeared from the collection. Nicholas Cage! Yeah. Um, so, after he gets the gun, uh, he trails uh, Garfield... Um, uh, the first time, uh, to a, uh, a, to what is, it, it no longer exists, um, but a, a Baltimore and Potomac, uh, railroad station, um, as the president was seeing his wife off to a beach resort in, in Long Branch, New Jersey. Uh, um, fuck Long Branch. Uh, but, but Gateau decided to, uh, postpone his plan, 
because uh, Garfield's wife, uh, Lucretia, was in poor health and Gateau did not want to upset her. Long Branch beat our high school in football and I have not forgiven them in 20 years. (laughs) Bastards. Well, they're up North Jersey. It's like Southern football, you know, big teams and the whole town thing. People get recruited out of there. Um, so after this, uh, he gets a he gets a newspaper on July second, um, eighteen eighty one, um, that that um, that has a president's schedule in it. Um, so he lays in wait um, for Garfield at the railroad station, uh, getting his shoe shined, uh, pacing and engaging uh, a cab to take him to the station later. Um, as Garfield enters the station, uh, looking forward to um, to joining his wife in Long Branch, uh, Gateau steps forward and shoots Garfield twice from behind. The second shot piercing his first lumbar vertebrae, uh, but missing the spinal cord. Um, as as he surrenders to authorities, uh, Gateau yells out, "I am a stalwart of the stalwarts. Um, Arthur is president now." Um, so after a, a long so battle he just with, with full on, we're the sticky bandits, and then just leaves. Well, well, as he's like caught. Oh, he's caught. Okay. Yeah. With the wet uh, bandits. <laughs> so, so after um, after he fights with some infections, which, which are possibly caused by the doctors uh, poking and probing uh, the wound with unwashed hands and non-sterilized instruments, uh, Garfield dies on September nineteenth, uh, eleven weeks after being shot. Oh, that's um, that's horrific, especially knowing what medical care was back in the eighteen hundreds. Like, you lived for eleven weeks, bro. You're just. Oh God! That had to be the most painful eleven weeks of your life, right there. Um. So, so modern doctors who who are familiar with the case, they they believe that Garfield could have easily recovered from his wounds uh, with sterile medical care, uh, which which again was not common at that time in the United States. Um. While uh, while one doctor, uh, Candace uh, uh, Millard, argues that Garfield would have survived Gateau's bullet wound um, if the doctors had simply left him alone, like like if nothing had been done, he he probably would have uh, survived. Yeah, he would have um, lived, but if you see, if you look at a picture of like what the actual bullet trajectory was, he was gonna lose his spleen. Like, yeah, they absolutely had to at least take care of it, taking his spleen out. Yeah, he would have lived significantly longer had they not been fucking with him with like you know, unsterile tools and fingers and everything else. Like they were like smoking a fucking camel cigarette and ashing it into his fucking into his fucking wound, thinking it's gonna like help somehow. But like. Eventually, that spleen is going to come out. Garfield's biographer, uh, Alan Peskin... Wait, ashing um, into a wound? That doesn't work? Yeah. I thought that worked. (laughs) Oh, and listen, as a side note, 100% serious, uh, if you are ever shot or if you ever have that kind of wound that's circular and you're bleeding real bad, please do not put a tampon into the fucking wound. Oh, my God. It's not going to help. It is such a bad idea. No, is that a just, thing you've had to, like, remove before? In If you don't really think too deep into it, putting a tampon into a bullet wound sounds like an effective yeah, solution. Yeah, sounds like it's right? gonna soak the blood up. But the problem is, tampons are designed to soak something up that should not be, be soaked in up. your body. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it doesn't make so, sense. You want the blood there, because it's what carries the white yeah. blood cells. And, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so his biographer Alan Peskin argues that uh, that medical malpractice did not contribute to Garfield's death, and he says that the the inevitable um, infection and blood poisoning from the uh, deep bullet wound uh, would have caused uh, multiple organs um, to fail, 
and and also the the spinal bone uh, fragmentation would have uh, would have killed him eventually. Mm. Not necessarily, man. I've met quite a few people in my time that have bullets in them. Um, uh, they're fine. Yeah, they're often like uh, inoperable, right? Yeah, a prof- yeah. A professor- you just see them on X-ray, and they're just like, "Yeah, we're not fucking with that." Okay. <laughs> Like, literally, the doctor's home, it's in there, we're not fucking with it, it's too close to XYZ organ, just leave it alone, it's fine. Um, A professor, uh, Rutko, of um, the University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey has argued that that starvation may have also played a role. That's where my brother Um, went. Because he said, uh, Garfield had such a non-lethal wound in today's world, he would have gone home in a matter of two to three days. Shout out to Um, our number one And and this is mainly because, you know, like, with the medical, like, they, they weren't feeding him because they believed, you know, it would help his recovery. Oh, my fucking God. Uh, oh, my um, God. <laughs> so, oh, my God. <laughs> so the, the conventional narrative around his uh, post-shooting medical condition was also challenged um, in a 2013 argue, uh, article of the, the American Journal of Surgery uh, written by Theodore uh, Pappas and uh, Shaz Rashad um, Joharifar. Shazarazad? Um, <laughs> and, and this and this Charizard? goes back to what what you said uh, to Ryan in that um, they say that uh, that Garfield died from a late rupture of a splenic artery um, a, a, a pseudo aneurysm uh, which developed a secondary uh, which developed secondary to the path of the bullet adjacent to the splenic artery. Hey, you gotta they, know they what also, I'm talking about every now and then. <laughs> they, they also argued that uh, sepsis was actually caused by post traumatic acute a calculus. Uh, Plexititis. Um, and they said, based on the autopsy report, the authors speculate that his gallbladder subsequently ruptured, leading to the development of a large bile containing abscess adjacent to the gallbladder. I don't know about you Did guys. Did you mean cholecystitis? Is that what you meant to say? Cholecyst- acute acalculus. Did you, meant to, did you mean to say cholecystitis? Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah okay. Because for a minute, I was like, what word was that? And then I heard you say gallbladder. And I was like, ah, I just want to make sure. Um, they um they they suggest that the um that 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 this is what caused the septic decline in Garfield's condition um that was visible starting uh from July 23rd 1881 um so after Garfield dies Gateau is officially charged with murder um he's formally indicted on October 14th 1881 um on the charge of murder which had previously only been attempted murder after his arrest um Gateau pleads not guilty to the charge what happens? Um, okay, another legal question here. Uh, they arrest him for attempted murder. They sentence him to like twenty years, right? Like basically life in prison back in those days, twenty years, right? And then after that, the president dies. Do they retroactively go back and be like, "Nah, come here. Now we're gonna hit you for murder," or is that over and done with? I think they were waiting to see. Um, I, I think it's the reason why that you know he was in charge quickly, and, and I also don't know how like fast the court system moved back then. Okay. Uh, but but I'm imagining they're they're sort of keeping him to see what happens very fastly. I'm about to say the court system could not have been that slow again with a population of fucking 89 people and like four of them <laughs> are in jail. I don't see the court system being tied up. <laughs> oh man! Now we couldn't actually get a jury because the 11 <laughs> people who live in this county they were actually busy, so we had to wait. We had to find a date that We couldn't get a jury because everyone who works in the courthouse lives in the town, <laughs> and that's it. Also, the one person eligible for the jury, James Garfield, <laughs> is in the hospital right now. Yeah. People, people just get away with murder all the time because it's like that one, that one county in I think it's I think it's Wyoming 
where there, there's a county in Wyoming where you where you actually like if you commit a crime there, you you actually can't stand a jury trial because there are not enough people to to get like a pool for a jury. Right, they have are to go like real? yeah, they have to go like across town or some shit. Oh, oh okay. Because okay, there's the the because like the population of the county because it's technically in um the uh like within Yellowstone. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. There there's there's like the population is like zero or something like that. Okay, but they're still gonna get. They will get you on a jury trial if they have to. Yeah, okay, I thought they'll, you were giving me a life hack on where to commit crime. I don't know. They'll still get you. Go right here. <laughs> I'm gonna just uh, defer to uh, Steve's advice of just don't do it. Now I'm gonna go over to Emmett's to get Emmett. Well, 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 technically, it's like that that legal issue with the um, where, where like in Yellowstone, there, there's like a 200 like square foot place where you can where you could theoretically commit a crime and and not because there's no laws there technically. But you can't really do anything that's premeditated because technically you're guilty of you're, you're still guilty of it and you'd be tried it where you originally thought it up if that could be proven. Mm. What? Yeah, you'll yeah. I'll, I'll I'll send you the thing, but there's like a whole like like sort of just like a legal like debate, just just sort of like a thought exercise that legal scholars have done because of like the way the like the boundaries work out that there's that there's like an actual stretch of land where there's no laws. But like they would charge you based on where you came up with the crime. Well, well, like say you murdered somebody there, right? Like you, it's it obviously was, premeditation because you had to bring them to a spot where you know you couldn't be tried. Yeah, you're fucked. Yeah, right? so, so so yeah, you would because you because you essentially conceived of the crime before you got there, so you're you're guilty of of that. Like you you could be found guilty of that. But if you didn't, if it wasn't premeditated and you just spontaneously did it there, and they couldn't prove it was premeditated, you could theoretically get off. Yo, that's fucking wild. Um, so the trial begins in Washington, D.C. on November 17th, 1881. Um, the, the Supreme Court for the District of Columbia, which is now the U.S. District Court for uh, uh, Washington or for the District of Columbia, um, is the uh, court that it's held in. Uh, the, provide, the presiding judge uh, was uh, Walter Smith Cox. Um, Thought you were going to say like Thomas Jefferson or somebody else that we were going <laughs> to supposed to know. A young Franklin Delano Roosevelt. <laughs> um, so uh, while Gateau wanted to uh, represent himself uh, during the entire trial, um, the court uh, appointed a lawyer uh, to him, uh, Leigh Robinson, to defend him. Um, in less than a week of the trial, though, uh, Robinson retired from the case, um, and George Scoville uh, then became the, the lead counsel for the defense. Are we talking about, like, George Scoville of the Scoville heat scale for peppers? Yes. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> I was going to say, holy shit, he's serious. Um. So, uh, although Scoville's uh, legal experience mainly lay in land title examination, um, he had married Gateau's sister and felt obligated to defend him in court uh, when no one else would. Wait, what? The, such- wait, what? <laughs> okay, that was the lead was kind of buried there. So this is this is Gateau's brother-in-law. Yeah, this is this is his uh, this is a like a, a brother-in-law of his that that feels obligated to do it because no one else will represent him. Okay. Um, Wayne uh, Wayne McVeigh was the uh, U.S. Attorney General at that time. He served as the chief prosecutor. Um, McVeigh had five lawyers to the prosecution team: uh, George Corkill, Walter uh, Davidge, a retired Judge uh, John K. Porter, um, Elihu Root, and E.B. Smith. Mm. That is a hell of a fucking the Alahu root. Yes, the Alahu root. <laughs> the John K. Porter. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Gateau's trial became one of the most high-profile court cases in the United States at that time period, um, and then uh, and it was one of the uh, the first high-profile cases where a defense uh, claim of temporary insanity was considered. Um, though uh, Gateau would, uh, would insist that while he had been legally insane at the time of the shooting, um, because he claimed God had taken away his free will, um, he was not really medically insane. Uh, which was uh, one of the major causes of the rifts between him and his defense lawyer. I just looked this guy up, and he's got that Rasputin stare going. I think he's a little crazier than he lives on. <laughs> a little bit, uh, a couple fries short of a happy meal. Yeah, yeah. He's got those eyes, just like you know, staring out into the into the weird metaverse of Alex Jones theories. <laughs> you know, the globalists. The globalists <laughs> exist at the exact same time as as the other globalists and the the trilateral commission and. Yeah. Okay, buddy. Did I tell you about the uh, two English estates that I own? Yeah. <laughs> um, and the uh, and the judge uh, gave in jury gave the jury instructions based on what's called the uh, monoton rule. Fuck your monoton rule. The government owes me money. goddammit. it. Pay me my um, money. <laughs> and and this was uh, and this is a very from the 1840s for jury instruction in a criminal case where where uh, the defense of insanity is being used. Well, I believe States. what they say is I'm monoton guilty. That's what they say. <laughs> Um, that every man is to be presumed to be sane, and that to establish a defense on the ground of insanity, I'm not crazy. It, it must be clearly proved that at the time of the committing of the act, the party accused was laboring under such a defect of reason from disease of the mind as not to know the nature and quality of the act he was doing, or if he did know, that he did not know he was doing what was wrong. Mm. I can't even imagine how high the bar is to clear to prove that. I mean, I've definitely been so angry that I can't believe I just did the thing I did, you know? So... Yeah, but I mean, like, imagine having to prove that. Yeah, I mean, you, I don't know if you can. And then still, it's like, like, it's, it, you, it's like you know, entrapment. you're still guilty, right? I yeah, mean... It's like it's like entrapment. The bar is so just phenomenally well, this, high to clear to actually get off because of entrapment. I just can't imagine how high that bar is to clear for well, temporary it, insanity. I would I would say under even even like sort of like a modern definition, it's it's pretty hard to clear because like Sirhan Sirhan, who was like very clearly a mentally disturbed person, you know, was was like went to jail. Mm. Um. So the the defense uh, hires a a leading alienist at the time. An alienist is, is sort of like an antiquated term for a psychiatrist or psychologist who specializes in determining the sanity of a patient uh, for legal purposes. Um, and, and now this is uh, considered within the field of modern uh, forensic psychology. Okay. Um, so they hired this uh, alienist named uh, Edward Charles uh, Spitzka. Um, Spitzka, um, during the trial, states that it was clear, uh, quote-unquote, Guiteau is not only now insane... But that he was never anything else. Spitzka sounds like the name of like a dog, like a dog's name. Come here, Spitzka. Um, nah, and- he sounds like an NFL uh, color commentator. Yeah, Mike Spitzka. <laughs> Mike Spitzka and Ralph Lawrence here to discuss uh, William he's, Henry he's Harrison and uh, <laughs> Davy Crockett's <laughs> new game, Space Invaders. No, it's used, David uh, Crockett and uh, Andrew Jackson new UFC game <laughs> for PlayStation One. <laughs> he he used the light pen a lot you know, to illustrate his points. In the, uh, uh. Um, he he also on the stand testified that he had no doubt that Gateau was both insane and a quote unquote moral monstrosity. 
Um, he came to the conclusion that Gateau had, uh, quote unquote, the insane manner um, that he had that he'd observed often in asylums, and adding that Gateau was a quote unquote morbid egotist with a tendency to misinterpret the real affairs of life. That's that's um, a nice way of saying crazy. God damn, if that isn't the nicest way of saying crazy. Right. He also man he just also has stated, a tendency to misinterpret the regular affairs of life. That's all. Yeah, he's just a little bit confused. Yeah. That's it. It's very confused. He also stated, he also stated he believed that he suffered from a <laughs> congenital malformation of the brain, which caused his insanity. I have one of those, but that doesn't make me crazy. <laughs> um, Corkale, uh, who was one of uh, DC's uh, district attorneys and on the prosecuting team. Uh, summed up the prosecution's opinion of Gateau's uh, insanity defense in a pre-trial press statement that was also mirrored in public opinion um, at the time. Um, they stated, He's no more insane than I am. There's nothing of the mad about Gateau. He's a cool, calculating blackguard, a polished ruffian, who has gradually prepared himself to pose in the way before the world. He was a deadbeat, pure and simple. Finally, he got tired of the monotony of deadbeating. He wanted excitement of some other kind. I'm a not in deadbeat. And he got it. I'm a not in deadbeaten. Sorry, that was a really good joke. <laughs> um, Gateau would become. By the way, a bit can we give a shout out to the word blackguard? Like that's such a cool word. You blackguard. Wow. Everybody, it's it's better than you know the anti paladin. You know, <laughs> they, they use the term blackguard now for a, for a lawful evil paladin. I love it. So. It's a fantastic word. Um, so uh, Gateau becomes a bit of a media sensation during the trial. Uh, mainly due to his bizarre behavior, uh, which he would uh, frequently curse and insult the judge. Uh, most of the witnesses, the prosecution, and even his own defense team, um, as well as uh, formatting his uh, testimony in the form of epic poems, <laughs> which he recited at length, um, and also soliciting legal advice from random spectators in the audience via past notes. Bro, what? The- <laughs> <laughs> um, he dictated an autobiography to the New York Herald. Um, (laughs) Hey, listen. Hey, listen to this poem. What what should I do next? (laughs) (laughs) Epic Uh, poem. Yes or no? (laughs) Should I? (laughs) I don't. I don't have a pen. Here, he's like passing a pen. I'm not guilty. No, I'm not. Wasn't me that shot that shot. Should I put this into evidence? Why or n? (laughs) (laughs) Why? Why slash n? He's like winking at him. He, <laughs> he would. No, no, fold it. You gotta fold it back up the right way. You gotta fold it so it's a triangle when it comes it. back. To- Mr. Gateau, do you have something to <laughs> yes, share yes, with the rest of the court? In in a second, in a second. As soon as my note, my uh, my uh, advice gets back. To- <laughs> he said yes. He said yes. <laughs> Mr. Gateau, please sit down. Oh, sorry. As he as he just starts like touchdown dancing in the middle. Yeah, of the he's like court. doing like the Dion smacking his knees together. <laughs> Um, while in while incarcerated he would dictate an autobiography to the New York Herald um, which he ended with a personal ad for a quote unquote nice Christian lady under 30 years of age nice lady nice lady Um, he he was uh, during the trial he was also completely oblivious to the uh, to the public hate the public's hatred towards him Um, and he was almost assassinated uh, twice himself during the trial Jesus Christ um he would uh, frequently smile and wave at spectators um, and reporters um, as he was coming in and out of the courtroom. Just like Mr. Bean in it the whole, the whole way fucking through. 
Um, so uh, Gateau would send a letter to uh, to uh, then uh, now President Arthur that he should be set free and that he had just increased um, Arthur's salary by making him president. Um, so that's he should not be the way that works. <laughs> that's, um, not, that's not going to get you freed. Um, uh, uh, Gateau would also argue uh, before uh, before Cox um, that, that Garfield was not killed by his bullets, but by medical malpractice. Um, he stated the doctors killed Garfield. I just shot him. Now, that is a more plausible thing to say. But the problem is back in the 1800s, you can't prove that, bro. Um, so uh, throughout the trial and up up until his uh, execution, uh, Gateau was housed at the St. Elizabeth's Hospital, the, the same one that our previous assassin had been interred at, um, which was in the uh, southeastern quadrant of Washington, D.C. Um, so while he was in prison and awaiting execution, um, Gateau would write a defense of the assassination um, that he had committed um, and an account of his own trial, which he published as The Truth and the Removal. So they executed this guy. Yeah. Um, Yes, but uh, but until uh, he he's actually executed, uh, Gateau had actually started making plans to start a lecture tour after he believed that he would be released from prison, and also to run for president in 1884. Uh, like you do. T- while while at the same time believing you know that everybody around him like loves him. Okay, so is this Texas? Like this guy's clearly mentally ill. We're gonna execute him. Like uh, he was found guilty on January 25th, 1882, and sentenced to death. Um, yeah, this is as, definitely Texas. As the guilty verdict was read, uh, Gateau stepped forward, um, despite his lawyers telling him uh, to be quiet, um, and yelled at the jury, saying, You are all well consummate jackasses. Wow. Well <laughs> done. That he, he, he had leashed a, a stream of, um, Ep- of curses epithets. and obscenities at them before he was taken away uh, by guards to, uh, to his jail cell to wait execution. You're all Irish. I mean... <laughs> um... Gateau would uh, appeal uh, would appeal um, his conviction, but the appeal was rejected. Uh, Twenty nine days before his execution, uh, Gateau uh, composed a lengthy poem asserting that God had commanded him to kill Garfield to prevent Blaine scheming to war with Chile and Peru. Uh, Gateau also claimed in the poem that now President Arthur uh, knew th- knew about the assassination had saved the United States, and that Arthur's refusal to pardon him was the "quote unquote" basest ingratitude. <laughs> Based. The least he could have did was let me off. Um, he he also uh, incorrectly presumed that Arthur would pressure the Supreme Court into hearing his his appeal, um, and he was hanged on June thirtieth, eighteen eighty two, in Washington D.C. just two days before the first anniversary of the shooting. God, okay, what did I tell you? The, the court system worked fast back then. Well, the court system wasn't like purposefully overloaded either back then. Yeah, well, again, when there's only five people in jail. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And the, the majority of punishments are still during that time period execution. Yeah, and what would appear is like a fucking drive-through execution too, if, especially if they're just hanging people. People don't often think of like the fact that if if execution is the like punishment for stealing candy from the corner store, then a lot of people just aren't going to report you. Correct. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like correct. So there was still well, plenty well, of crime going on. Well, well, judges would also um, would, would also sort of give people different sentences too. Like if the like the crime. We're not were, gonna like, kill little Ryan because he stole taffy from like, the salt water machine. Like <laughs> like you. for instance Thank in you. like in in like England. We're gonna beat um, the shit out like, of him. <laughs> like no! in the ni- like in the nineteenth century in England, 
like uh, sodomy was a um, was a hangable offense. Yeah. Um, but but most people who were convicted of sodomy were just sent to Australia. Right. Um, so as he's being led to his execution, because they like uh, it down under. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it is it is the it is the uh, they, they say it is the bottom of the world. Yeah. Uh. Um, so, uh, Gato, uh, while he's being uh, led to his execution, he, he continues to smile and wave at, at spectators like he did in court. Um, he also uh, danced his way to the gallows and shook hands with the executioner. Oh, my um, God. What is the old man McGucket from uh, Gravity on, Falls? And, <laughs> and, at, and on the scaffold, um, uh, he begins to recite the poem uh, called I Am Going to the Wardy, uh, which he had written during his incarceration. Oh, um, no. He had he had originally requested an orchestra uh, play as he sang his poem, but this request was denied. That's bullshit, man. If you're going to kill the man, at least give him his orchestra. Yeah, you should bend over if you're going to kill him. Um, So as as per uh, his request to the executioner, uh, Gateau signaled that he was ready to die by dropping uh, the paper uh, that he had his poem written on. Um, So after he finishes reading his poem, a a black hood was placed over uh, his head. Uh, which he was uh, smiling as they put the hood uh, over his head. Um, and moments later, the uh, the gallows trap door was sprung and, and the rope uh, breaking his neck instantly with the That's fall. not creepy at all. Not at all. So I just I, I just went and looked up I'm going to the Lordy to see if I could actually find what the actual words are, right? But in the first uh, introduction on the Wikipedia page for it, it, it says Gudo sings a version of the song while cakewalking up and down the scaffold. Which means he was singing this song while doing the WB Frog back and forth. <laughs> yep. Michigan J Frog. Hello, my baby. Before, Hello, my hangman. Before, before they just open the trap door. On Hello, his I'm ass. gonna die. Put the rope around my neck. Boy, what a big old wreck. Oh, Everybody fuck, tip awesome. your waitresses. Oh, God, that's awesome. Um, so, uh, Gato's body was not returned to his family as they were unable to afford a private funeral, um, and he was instead autopsied and buried in a corner of the jail yard. Aww, uh, upon, upon his autopsy, it was discovered that Coteau had a uh, condition known as uh, uh, phimosis, um, <gasps> which is, an, which is an inability to, to retract his foreskin, which was thought to have caused the insanity that led him to assassinate Garfield. <laughs> 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 Fucking simplistic as shit back then, man. <laughs> I, I just like um, dra- grasping at straws, you know. Well, well, I just, I just, I just love the indignity that you're that you're executed, and then do the autopsy. They're like, they're like a weird yeah, dick. I couldn't use. Yeah, weird dick. That's <laughs> why I was crazy. This guy it must have made him crazy. Now listen, this is a let. This is a Look warning at this weird to animal you. Dick this guy warning had. to all you men out there, all sixteen of you in the town. If you got a weird dick, we're coming for you. <laughs> Can you imagine the health videos they put out? That's the name of the episode, by the way. If you got a weird dick, we're coming for you. <laughs> it's like a double entendre. You can't. It's like a double entendre. You know, <laughs> we're coming for you because you. It's can't. a great joke. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Steve, so, are you okay uh, with that being the episode to the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Knock yourself out. <laughs> um, so, uh, tiny pieces of the uh, the hanging rope were, were sold as souvenirs to the public, um, and rumors uh, immediately began to uh, come up that the jail guards planned to dig up um, Gateau's corpse in, in order to beat uh, demands for this market of, like, sort of, like, And take turns uh, reading souvenirs. the poem and dancing him across the stage like Michigan J. Frog. 
Um, so the so the prison, uh, fearing um, a, a, a scandal, um, they make the decision to uh, disinter the corpse. Um, the body was then sent to the National Museum of Health and Medicine in Maryland. They got to make sure uh, with, they get rid of that because people are going to dig him up to try to get that power dick, you know, that he's yeah. got. He's got that special dick. But they uh, they they would preserve uh, Guiteau's brain as well as his enlarged spleen, which was discovered um, uh, during his autopsy. And they would also bleach his skeleton. Um, and enlarged spleen's all... not doing anything. That's not causing any sort of psychosis or anything. So, well, what's in there? Maybe spleen. it's the soul, and maybe he comes back. You know. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> At the time, the spleen was believed to be the seat of the human soul. Just kidding. Um, uh, these items were uh, placed in storage by the museum. Um, and parts of Gateau's brain can uh, be seen on display in a jar at the uh, Mütter Museum in uh, Philadelphia. Hmm. Really? Um, okay. Uh, Alan McQueen Hamilton said in 1881 that he believed that Gateau was sane when he assassinated Garfield. Um, an autopsy of Gateau's brain revealed that his uh, dura matter was abnormally thick, suggesting that he had uh, neurosyphilis, a disease which causes uh, mental instability that he could have contracted um, from syphilis uh, from a prostitute. Bro, imagine having syphilis so bad no. that it affects <laughs> your brain. No, I'm not gonna. <laughs> um, George, oh, George Paulson, uh, formerly the, the chair of neurology at Ohio State University, um, he disputed the, the neurosyphilis uh, diagnosis, arguing that Gateau had both schizophrenia and uh, grandiose narcissism. Uh, well, narcissism, yeah. 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 In, um, in 2014, the uh, criminal psychologist Kent Keel diagnosed Gateau as a psychopath mm-hmm. and gave him a score of 37.5 out of 40 on the PCLR scale. Nah, I don't ever, I don't ever give any sort of validation to anybody when they say, "Oh yeah, this person is a psychopath." And we have a scale to measure it. That's that's Looney Tunes shit. The, the only if, thing that those tests do, you can't they? You can't. It's, the it's only not. thing those tests do is weed out the people who are just flat out lying. That's all they're really there for. Like the people who are not that thing. The only pe- and the problem with those tests too is that if you're like a, a psychopath, you might know about the test. You know what I mean? <laughs> You might like well, go take is, the test. So you know many, what to say. The, okay. Well, here's the problem. If you're there's so many flavors of psychopath. You understand what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, it's, it's like a Ben and Jerry's. It's crazy. Right? There's YouTube you got 31 videos. Thirty-one flavors. There's YouTube. You know video. what I mean? There's YouTube videos of like the different types and um, right. that they like interviewed back in the 1900s. Think of somebody like Ed Gein versus Dahmer versus Bundy. Right. They're not right? the exact same thing. Versus Elliot Roger. The kid who shot up California because he was a, a raging little virgin, right? Like, all these people would be, you know, we would colloquially refer to them as a psychopath, but they're all very different flavors. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, anytime someone says, oh, this person's a psychopath, like, come on, man. Like, you gotta, A, that term means nothing. B, if you're gonna say something like that, you gotta quantify it with something. I got you. So, the last person we're gonna talk about. Um, oh, no. Can, um, he didn't plan on um, assassinating uh, the president, but he did try to blow up the Senate. Um, the his fuck? name was his <laughs> name was uh, Eric uh, Munter. Um, so Eric Munter was born in um, in Olsen, uh, Germany, on March twenty fifth, eighteen seventy one. Okay. 
Um, we don't know a lot about him, but he eventually went on to teach German at Harvard University in 1906. Um, it was during this time that he would poison uh, his his then pregnant wife Leona Muter um, um, on April sixteenth, nineteen oh six, with arsenic. Oh. Um, so uh, soon after this, on April twenty seventh, nineteen oh six, Cambridge, Massachusetts police would issue a warrant for the arrest of of Munter. Um, okay. On June fifth, nineteen oh six, Munter mailed a pamphlet entitled "Protest to His Wife's Family uh, from New Orleans." Um, he vowed that he would, quote-unquote, annihilate Chicago and Cambridge in one blow, um, if he could, for accusing him of poisoning his wife, and claimed that he actually feared the punishment inflicted on Christian scientists who refused medical treatment. Wait, where did that come from? Was he a Christian scientist? Uh, well, he's, he's against Christian scientists. But, okay. So he um, poisons his wife, he goes on the lamb, and then just brings up Christian scientists in his well, well, yeah, manifesto? He, he's just, he, yeah, he just has this ranting pamphlet that he sends his, uh, he, he sends his uh, wife's family. Okay. Um, so uh, he fled before uh, this was discovered um, and spent the next decade living in various places in the United States under assumed identities. Um, he himself was a committed German nationalist and opposed the, the U.S. policy of selling weapons to Great Britain and France during World War One, okay. Um, so Munter goes underground in Germany for, or goes underground in Mexico for a period, um, and then uh, eventually emerges again in Texas under a new identity um, and marries a new wife. Um, I, I, I want to do somebody with a German accent trying to do a Texan accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am the, the cowboy. Do the cowboy. <laughs> you need like Christoph ah, Waltz at- to do it. <laughs> Um, so around that time, he begins working his way up, uh, teaching at colleges, uh, eventually, uh, teaching at, uh, Cornell university under the, under the name Frank Holt. Oh, so he's teaching. So this is a smart guy. In, in 1950, uh, Munter is inspired by the book, the war in America by Hugo, um, Munsterberg, who was another, uh, German, uh, sympathizer. Um, he would eventually become involved with the German, German like East German sympathizer. Well, no, I'm this like is it. World War One. So oh, it's the German like the Empire. You said 1950. Yeah. 15. Oh, 15. Oh, okay, my bad. Yeah. Um, he became involved with the uh, German spy group, the um, Abtelung, uh 3B, uh, which was uh, which was involved with planting uh, time bombs on vessels carrying arms for the Allies from U.S. ports. Mm. Oh shit. Um. While uh, German intelligence was later alleged to have supported his attacks, uh, Munter maintained that he was just an angry peace activist acting on his own. I'm so I'm an angry peace activist. I'm such a peace activist. I'm blowing shit up. <laughs> uh, uh, though uh, Munter did very clearly have um, connections to the the German spy network, um, and also um, and also taunted authorities with veiled statements about uh, the group's uh, ship sabotage efforts. On, on July 2nd, 1915, uh, Munter hit a package containing three sticks of dynamite with a timing mechanism set for nearly uh, midnight under a telephone switchboard in the Senate reception room in the U.S. Capitol. Um, his original target had been the, the Senate chamber, uh, which he had found locked. Uh, the bomb exploded at 11.40 p.m., resulting in no casualties. Um, uh, Munter would write a letter to the Washington Star under a pseudonym, um, R. Pierce, explaining his actions, which was published after the bombing. Um, he said that he hoped the explosion would, quote-unquote, 
make enough noise to be heard above the voices that clamor for war, this explosion is an exclamation point in my appeal for peace. Um, so, <laughs> oh God, I, I'll never get over these people like screaming about they want peace by doing inherently violent acts. It's incredible. Yep. Um, after after setting off the bomb in the Capitol, uh, he fled to New York City, uh, where he hit a pencil bomb, um, which was a type of uh, timed explosive that the that the German spies would use on the SS uh, Minnehaha, which was a, a ship loaded with munitions that were being sent to Britain. Oh, that was SS Minnow. Okay. The SS Minnehaha. <laughs> Where's the Where are the bullets? They're on the Minnehaha. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Um, so under the still under the alias, uh, alias of Frank Holt, uh, Munter takes a train um, and a cab to East Island, Glencove, New York, uh, to the East Island, Glencove, uh, New York estate of J.P. Morgan on July 3rd, 1915. No way. Um, so uh, Morgan had helped uh, Britain finance its war effort uh, against Germany. So Munter considers him like a, a high uh, like a high value target. Um, he carried with him a small suitcase with the newspaper uh, clippings um, uh, uh, that were um, that that sort of talked about um, arm shipments um, and a few sticks of dynamite. Um, while in his coat, he carried two revolvers and another stick of dynamite. Uh, Munter rang the uh, front doorbell, um, and when the uh, butler opened the door, uh, Munter presented a business card and demanded to see uh, Mr. Morgan. When the uh, butler refused to uh, allow uh, Mr. Munter to see uh, Mr. Morgan because he would not stay his business, uh, Munter pulled out both revolvers and ran into the house looking for Morgan. Um, when he encountered uh, J.P. Morgan's children, uh, he pointed a pistol at them and had them follow him. Um, on the staircase, um, he shouted, Now, Mr. Morgan, I have you, as Mrs. Morgan uh, tried to block the path to her husband, uh, but Morgan would lunge at Munter um, tackling him to the ground um, as he uh, fired two rounds into Morgan's groin and thigh. Oof! This is um, like this is like a fucking Looney Tunes shit. Um, so having pinned uh, Munter to the ground, uh, Morgan would uh, twist one of the revolvers out of um, out of Munter's hand um, as his wife and others uh, grabbed the other revolver. Yeah, he was able to do this um, because he had a very well. He was shot in the dick. He had a very normal dick. <laughs> completely sane he, dick he, he, his foreskin was retractable yeah <laughs> Jesus. it was like a Mazda Miata down there <laughs> boy that drop top just went down no pressure Munter was heard to cry kill me, kill me now I don't want to live anymore I have been in a perfect hell for the last six months on account of the European war um, uh, after Morgan's butler uh, finished subduing Munter um, uh, uh, after uh, beating him senseless with a lump of coal that'll do it, uh, Jesus just beat him with a piece of coal? holy shit and uh, Morgan uh, would recover quickly uh, returning to work on August 14th uh, Munter though I'll make him like they himself. used to <laughs> got beat uh, to death Munter- with a, got beat up with a lump of coal and he's back to work <laughs> no, no, Morgan was back to work. Morgan just got shot. Oh, excuse me. Shot Morgan, point. yeah, they don't M- make him like they used to. Shot in the balls, he's back to work. M- Munter was the one that These got These work from home cool. people. <laughs> they don't even get shot in the balls. Um, uh, Munter, uh, in custody, refused to identify himself, um, saying that only saying that he was a Christian gentleman who wanted to persuade Morgan to end the war. 
Um, however, soon after, a tip was received pointing out the resemblance between um, uh, Holt and, and Munter, um, who was still wanted in Cambridge for the poisoning of his wife. Um, a Harvard official, uh, Charles Apted, uh, who had lived near Munter in Cambridge, was dispatched to New York where he identified Munter. Um, in his jacket, he had written down the names of Morgan's four children and a quip cartoon of Lady Liberty uh, pointing to a crate of fireworks representing the European War, telling Uncle Sam that they are, quote-unquote, dangerous fireworks. Um, he also uh, circled some, uh, some shipping schedules for merchant vessels leaving New York, um, and he told police that his original intention was to take Morgan's wife and children hostage to force Morgan to stop uh, musicians' uh, shipments to Europe, um, though on at least one occasion he admitted he also intended to assassinate Morgan. Munition sh- shipments? Yeah, um, yeah um, guns that are being Europe. sent to France and Britain. Yeah, all right. Um, so uh, authorities quickly connected him as well to the Capitol bombings um, and the wife poisoning case. Um, the search for the suitcase uh, found a, a handwritten letter addressed to His Majesty the German Kaiser, uh, similar to letters he had mailed out at the time of the bombing of the Capitol, signed R. Pierce. Um, the, uh, his attack on Morgan uh, made headlines the next Sunday morning, which was July 4th. Uh, Captain uh, Thomas J. Tooney, who was the head of the New York City Police Department's bomb squad, uh, tricked Munter into confessing details on how he had made the timer for the Capitol bomb, uh, <laughs> but um, he would not tell all until July 7th. Uh, police were able to track down a truck Munter um, had placed in storage in New York City, um, and the inspector of combustibles, Owen um, Egan, declared it the greatest equipment for bomb making ever brought to New York, with 134 sticks of dynamite, blasting caps, coils of fuse, batteries, nitric acid, windproof matches, mercury fulminate, um, smokeless explosive powder. Um, three explosive tin can bombs had also been recently completed. Bro, how did how did they trick him into confessing details? But like, they probably did that law and order thing where they're just like, "Oh yeah, you like making bombs? I like making bombs, buddy." I don't make bombs. <laughs> yes, you do. No, I don't. Yes, you do. No, I don't. Yes, you do. No, I don't. No, you don't. Yes, I do. Ah, got him. <laughs> yes, I can. He was, he was able to convince him that it was in fact duck season and that he should shoot <laughs> duck season, <laughs> rabbit season, duck season. <laughs> um, so there's there's some debate on how Munter died. Um, or, or how he came to die on July 6, 1915. Uh, Munter had tried to kill himself the night of July 5th by slashing his wrist, but but this failed to kill him. Yeah, it's it's, it's um, down the river, not across the stream, Munter. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, the the following day, a prison guard failed to uh, failed to lock his jail cell, um, and when the guard stepped away at 10.30, uh, Munter somehow uh, found his way to the roof and jumped 50 feet um, to his death. Why um, would you jump and kill yourself, though? You got your cell open. You could just run away. Half the town is there in some capacity as either a jailer or in jail or, like, maintenance crew on the ground. It's like... So an investigation uh, ruled his death a suicide, although um, an author, Howard Bloom, in his book uh, Dark Invasion, um, he writes that, uh, that New York's counterterrorism police uh, at first believed that he was killed by an assassin uh, sent to silence him. Uh, with two bullets to the head. Oh no! Uh, but that version. Um, but but obviously uh, that that wasn't what happened. Um, and and the version they decided on was that Munter had ran out of his briefly open door, uh, jumped headfirst onto the concrete floor of the jail <laughs> corridor, 
Uh, this Jesus I thought it was death by twenty feet. That is Good commitment Lord. right there, buddy. Holy shit! Um, the sound of his yeah, uh, I'm head, done. Uh, 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 allegedly, the sound of his head hitting the the concrete was so loud that it was initially thought that he had smuggled a dynamite cap into the prison and set it off with his teeth. Holy shit! Is that um, is that wait, you, wait, 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 wait is that impossible? Can you do? Can you set that? Up? I don't think you can do that. Set a dynamite cap off you, with your teeth. That sounds. I mean, maybe if you bit hard. Enough, yeah, teeth I, are I pretty strong. I mean, it's. Just, I think the jaw is the strongest muscle in the body. But like, that's. Yeah, that seems that seems questionable. It also seems ridiculous. Like my brain is playing through what would happen. <laughs> oh my god. Um. Uh, Munter's wife would receive a note from her husband on July 7th, warning that a ship bound for England would sink um, on that day. Um, so just two days after his suicide, the, the crew were warned um, that they could not, um, but they couldn't find the, the bomb on the uh, Minnehaha. Um, and the, the bomb would explode, but it had been placed far away from the munitions and caused minor damage to the ship. Even after his death, in fucking, in death, he's still Mr. Magooing it up because he didn't put the bomb anywhere that was going to fucking hurt anybody or anything. Oh, my God. But that was what? the tale of Eric Bunter and also these failed political assassins. I like these fucking failures. <laughs> yeah, I like the failures, you know. I don't like what, I mean, J.P. Morgan, it probably would have been... I, you know, to be honest, I was kind of rooting for was, him to get a little yeah. bit of yeah, maybe just shot, not die, but like saying? maybe so yeah. fucked up that he decides to live a better life, but you know, permanently disable him, you know, something, uh, not become a shitty fucking banker or whatever. Yeah. Well, well, he shot him in the dick, which caused his insanity, and that's when he became <laughs> the evil banker. Ah, I see. So plan <laughs> was successful. <laughs> so what happens? He, that he, was the he, evil. He, he had a perfectly <laughs> normal dick, and he made it weird, and that's what made him that's crazy. That's story right there. Yep. That's, that's, his, that's that's the human. Evil. He lost his ability to retract the convertible hood. That's that's the human evil switch. Is the uh, the dick injury? I've heard that. That's his villain origin story. Yeah, I've, right I've heard there. that. Yeah. All right. Not enough about six. <laughs> and with that, good evening. Good night. Goodbye. Penis. Ha, 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 ha.